Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Short story bingo. My name is Nate Chacon, the third. And this is what we're doing right now. If this is your first time, welcome. If this is your second time, then the retention program is working. Welcome back to Short Story Bingo. What we do on this podcast is I either read a story by myself or a story with a friend. And, um, you know, we talk about it as we're going through it. And today, I happen to have a good friend of mine. His name is Zach Ivy. Zach? One love. Yeah. Well, we're going to go over some things here. With uh, So this, the book that we're reading out of is uh, Amazing Tales for Making Men Out of Boys by Neil Oliver. It's an international bestseller. I've uh, read a couple stories out of it already. Um, definitely uh, one of those books that uh, depicts like very certain situations where you see like men become heroes or women become heroes actually as well. Um, if there's one story, I'm just gonna say that. To all my feminists out there, I hope you don't hate me for it. But like, this is a great book and we're gonna read a, a particular story from it. Zach, can you drop down some of your um, your social media shoutouts for folks? Oh, social media, uh, Wolf Ivy on Insta, Snap, and Twitter, W-O-L-F-I-V-I-E. Um, follow me also on Spotify at Zach Ivy, Z-A-C-I-V-I-E. Um, yeah. Perfect. Well, so uh, thank you guys so much. I know that we missed a week last week, and that's because I had a bunch going on. Not a big deal, though. Uh, We're still averaging around 150 to 170 hits per day, so I appreciate everyone that is listening. And I've heard that you're supposed to... Um, like subscribe and rate on um, iTunes to make that keep bumping up. If anything else, if you can just comment, just comment, even if you don't like it. If you want to just trash me for a second, that's fine too. But the comments apparently actually get me bumped up. You know what I'm saying? Make the comment, take the extra time. You know, so um, again, appreciate everything that's going on. Oh, also, I got to say this. Um, Canada is still holding the rank for the uh, country outside of the United States. Japan had it for a while that had the most downloads, but Canada is now there. So peace to Canada, yo. yo peace to Canada. Up north, peace. <laughs> uh, now we got the time for a random Twitter follower shout out. And today it goes to my man at Big Low Hip Hop, and that's at B I G L O H I P H O P. Make sure to uh, follow that cat. He is. Uh, he was just out here in Salt Lake City. Um, on uh, what's they the 17th so he's out here on the 15th and the 16th so this past Wednesday and uh, Thursday um, funny story just really quick to get it out there uh, I saw him and I recognized his name him and I were MySpace friends back in 2007 he dropped me a beat that I made a song for he recognized what happened so we had a good time last night, just to say the least, like as far as like full circle coming, do you know what I mean? It's one of those things, yeah, it's one of those things. So um, yeah, I really appreciate all the love. Uh, again, if you want to submit your own stories, go to uh, place or send them to, excuse me, shortstorybingo at yahoo.com. I've been dropping at gmail.com, but in my descriptions, I know that nobody reads them, but I've been dropping shortstorybingo at gmail. I've got, I, I have four. I had four emails last week to the Yahoo for, to, for the regular short story bingo, and it was told to me that I've been dropping at Gmail. So I appreciate being put in check. But with all that being said, short story bingo episode fourteen. 
with my man Zach Ivy. Zach, one more time. Hit, hit us out. We got three. We got ten seconds left to the to the intro comes in. What do you want to say before? Yo, I just want to say that I'm really excited to be here. Uh, and shouts out to Nate G. Cone for getting me on, man. The third. The third. Man. Game time. Intro song time. Intro song time. Woo! Ric Flair, motherfucker. Short story bingo. Short story bingo. Short story bingo. Short story bingo. Sometimes they're funny and sometimes they're sad. Most of the time they're funny because I hate to be sad. Short story bingo. Short story bingo. Short story bingo. Short story bingo. But don't take my word for it. Spirit fingers. Yes. The city known once as Constantinople is today Istanbul, capital of Turkey and the only metropolis in the world that straddles two continents. The waters of the Bosphorus keep Europe and Asia apart here. The opposing shores, flirting dangerously with one another behind their families' backs, like Romeo and Juliet. Hold on. But also... Why do they have to be flirting dangerously? It's just two fucking they already, things. They already set it up badly. Dangerously flirting, huh? <laughs> what the fuck? Dangerously flirting on the side. <laughs> just two two bodies of water. Like, come on, man. All right. As it turns out, that narrow parting is the deepest cut of all. It's the place where East and West were finally divided. Yet, where Islam and Christianity came close enough to kiss. Uh-oh. The story of what happened here during the spring and summer of 1453 is part of the story of how our present was made. The city occupies the tip of a peninsula, two bodies of water, the Sea of Marmara and the Golden Horn. And also um, Google the Golden Horn because the, go the Golden Horn has a significant value in history as far as being... Um, uh, a place where uh, uh, f um, human beings have been able to cultivate and so on and so forth. So, like, this is a place like it's and so is the Sea, uh, the sea of Marmara. But like, uh, so both of these places are very significant. So, like, if you're listening to this right now, um, like, Google it or Google it later. But the gold, uh, Google the Golden Horn um, or the Sea of Marmara. Two bodies of water the Sea of Marmara and the Golden Horn meet to form the apex of a triangle pointing roughly east. The base of the triangle toward the west is traced across the neck of the peninsula by the great defensive wall of Theodosius. Built in the 4th century to keep out the barbarians because we gotta always keep those cats keep out. Keep the barbarians out if there's one thing you learn in history. You gotta keep those guys yeah, out. those guys. <laughs> It's still largely intact today. A series of massive arched gates, as imposing in the 21st century as they were a thousand years ago, cuts through it toward the interior. As is true of all great cities, the modern facade of Istanbul is marbled with veins of history running all the way back to beginning so distant they're impossible to recall. I get, I also, um, saying that, like, there was the, there was this, uh, uh, prehistoric shark that was just caught off the sea, uh, off the sea of the Philippines recently, has 300 teeth in, uh, on it, 
but it's a prehistoric shark that still lives. That's still just down there swimming. Yeah. And they just barely found it. Just... No, no, no. It's like it's like it's like the tenth time they've caught it in the last like umpteenth years. Like so, the point that I'm making when I hear that is when uh, when it says the modern facade of Istanbul is marbled with veins of history running all the way back to beginnings so distant they're impossible to recall. Is that it's very possible to still recall some of those time frames with what we can still see today. Right, you know what I'm saying? Right. So I, I like how he's wording it, but also I'm a little fucking taken back. The Rome, the Roman Diocletian unwittingly laid the foundations when he established himself as emperor in another city, Nicomedia. In AD 284, it was he who created the Tetrarchy, ruling as emperor in the east with Galileo. Uh, Gal- Galerius as his Caesar, he left the West to Emperor Maximi- uh, Maximian with Constantius Col- Colerus as his deputy. There's a lot of names that just happened right there. Yeah, I was going to say there's a lot of there's a lot of like people that got involved for sure. It sounds like <laughs> true to his Roman faith, Diocletian ordered the persecution of Christians naturally because that's just what happened at that time. It, yeah. You know, I mean, the thing is, is like, they were always getting mad over some religious BS back in the day. So, of course, people being Christian, he's going to go after them and try to bat. Is that what these, I mean, yeah, he's that's trying what, to bastardize all the Christians. Is what 100%. Jesus wasn't real, motherfucker. So, fucking, okay, cool. But when, uh, when but when Constantius Chloris Col- uh, died at York, England in AD 306, he was succeeded by his son, Constantine the First. Constantine shared the rulership of the empire with Licinius until he defeated Licinius in battle in AD 323. So 17 years later, they don't like each other. Thank you. So they're just like, this is over. They don't like each other. Well, that's the thing. When you get too many irons in the fire, you know what I'm saying? Like, it sounds like already, um, you know, he split away from his Caesar. Oh, dude, split away from his Caesar to go run some area. Which is kind of like if you look at what happened here in like America, you know, the king of England was just like, hey, go run this place over here. And then pretty soon we were just like, hey, that's uh, not a thing. This is ours now. This is (laughs) not yours. (laughs) It ain't working out. Right. Until he defeated Licinius in battle in AD 323 and proclaimed himself sole emperor with a capital name after himself as Constantinople. It has never been clear just how Christian Constantine really was in private life. But he certainly added Christian symbolism to his battle insignia and tolerated, if not encouraged, the new faith among his subjects. The roots took hold, and in AD 573, this guy's got to be dead by this point. I mean, this is 200 years later, right? Yeah. The roots took hold, and in AD 573... The emperor Justinian dedicated the Church of St. Sophia as the living heart of the city's religious life. It had taken just six years to build, and yet it was a crowning masterpiece of vision and architectural skill. Build a nice temple. Perfect. None who visited the building in the Middle Ages seemed able to find words to describe it back home. A mosque now, it has the same power to enthrall today as it was new. A mosque now, but before it was a... They didn't even know what to call it. They didn't even know what to call it. They 
So is that not like a is that not like a almost a, a backhand to like how religion kind of convolutes itself then like how you don't know what to say what it is at the beginning and then you put a label on it at the end but like that label was supposed to be at the beginning I don't know do you know do you know what I'm saying I mean the, like why they got to change the name up at the end is what I always wonder you know what I'm like, thank you like as if as if like their lord was never wrong and didn't call it a mosque but now all of a sudden calls it a mosque or something of that sort instead of a temple right Theodosius succeeded his father Constantine and at his own death in AD 395, so we went back another couple, uh, about 150 years, split the empire between his sons. We already saw that was bad. Right. We already saw that was bad. (laughs) After the fall of Rome to the Ostrogoths in AD 476, Constantinople became the single center of the Roman Empire, the capital essentially. The Christianity that crystallized there in the east beneath the overarching dome of St. Sophia was a dark and lustrous jewel. Its power to beguile was its greatest strength and its final weakness. Soldiers ranged along Constantinople's defensive walls in 1453, had their first sight of an approaching army during their first days of April that year. On Easter Sunday, the most important day in the Christian calendar, the faithful had gathered as usual in the churches. The people of the city believed the Virgin Mary was their greatest and surest shield. Down the century, they called for her time in times of need. With would-be raiders snapping at them from beyond the walls, they had gathered to carry icons bearing her likeness through the streets. She had never failed them before in the face of the, of the uh, heathen, and surely, when the storm clouds ranged around them seemed darkest, she would not fail them now. Okay, so we're just putting a lot of faith inside of a. Just, we'll put it on our shield, and for sure, like she's never. She ain't gonna fail or slip up because she's the virgin, you know. She's the virgin. <laughs> so it's gotta be. I have a problem. Oh my God. Okay, I agree. Uh, like, I was born Catholic, raised Catholic. I, I was born me. I was raised Catholic. Excuse me. But reading that immediately makes me kind of it, it gives me a cringe effect and you look big, at the naivety of it all. Thank you. Like, That's where it's at. That's a long way of saying what you just said right there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's true. You say do you wonder like really? You're just gonna like That's what you're counting on? You're gonna pray that the heathen doesn't bust down your door? All right. <laughs> because Go. you have a shield that has the Virgin Mary on it? Yep. Like in the cruise with the yeah, for sure. On him. Bob, I don't know, but like for sure, we should like stack up on like hella spears, yeah. bro. Like, and then put crosses on them. They'll be good. They'll be good. Here's the thing. I don't know if that's gonna work. So we're what we're gonna do is we're gonna make ten shields, and all of them are gonna have the Virgin Mary on them. Dude, why weren't we? Why aren't we funding this? Exactly. So that's what I'm trying to tell you. She's had our back the whole time. How the fuck is she not? Like when's the last time she let us down before? And I, that's right? what I've been telling everyone. Right? That's what I've been telling everyone. And then Ted in the back. Okay, you guys are fucking dumb. All right, look, we need we need spears. Nope, he's the crazy guy who they cast out of the village right then. You know, <laughs> get out of here, Ted. No, he's the one that dies. Yeah, yeah he's, he's the one that dies. He, Ted, you're up front. Right. She would not fail them now. While the common people look to a woman in heaven for salvation, while the common people. 
look to a woman in heaven for salvation. That sounds so aristocrat to me as far as like, that, look, this is what they you believe. guys pray to a woman. <laughs> also, but also like looking to someone who's not real and who's, uh, I, you know what? I probably ruffled some feathers there, but like, um, look into someone that is, uh, that is, that you haven't seen yet. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But like, it just that sentence alone is like very pungent to me in the sense that like the leaders are like, oh, we made them believe in this, and so that's what they're holding on to when we have all the weapons. So that's what they're gonna like think that they think that that's their salvation. When yeah. while the common people look to a woman in heaven for salvation, one man on earth bore overall responsibility for turning back the tide of Islam lapping at the walls. But Constantine. In Christ, true emperor and autocrat of the Romans, supped from a poison chalice. His predecessors had in the main presided over centuries of erosion of an empire that had once inspired respect and awe in all of who knew it. Misruled by many of them, accompanied by civil wars, petty jealousies, corruption and sloth, had presented Constantine the Eleventh. With, with an inheritance few would want. The lands and territories were almost gone. Though he bore the title of emperor, his empire was so landlocked within that of the Ottomans that he was little more than a vassal of the sultan. Only the impenetrable defenses of the city, walls and treacherous seas, prevented the coup de grace. Yet within Constantine XI, shone the brightness of a bygone age of empire. Chroniclers of the time describe a straightforward and trustworthy man who inspired a lifelong loyalty in those around him. He was at heart a soldier and a patriot, imbued with a sense of duty to ensure the survival of his people and their way of life. I love that. By the time of the siege of 1453, he was 48 years old, and in spite of all, which 48 and 1453, you're fucking Jeezer, 95. Man. <laughs> yeah. And in spite of all he had seen, the continued tarnishing of what Constantinople had once been, he was resolute. So it's like being like the president of Detroit. You, know, you kind of just inherit a bombshell and you're just like, oh, here we go. But also resolute about it. So you're like, but we're, we're going to come back. Yeah, we got it. You can't be, you got to be optimistic. I love that though. I, I like low key. Like, I, I mean, I mean, at some point you have to like draw a line and be like, yo, we got to do something. Thank you. We gotta fix it. These were dark days indeed for Constantinople and what little remained by the Byzantine Empire. The foe advancing toward them now was led by the 21-year-old Muslim Sultan Mehmet II. He had summoned his fighting forces from around his Ottoman Empire and they had come in numbers that seemed impossible to Constantine and his Christians. So this is a religious war, ladies and gentlemen. Religious war. The Muslims and the Christians again. Again. Back at it again. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> I wish that I, 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 uh, celebrity death match. I, I, I feel like there might. I, I wish that there was like a just like a, a, uh, a character named Muslim and a character named Christian, and Mills Lane was the referee. Like, do you guys have it in you? And they just went at it again, and then went back for the rematch. Right. And again, the rematch. And, yeah. And there's just a hundred rematches. 
He had summoned his fighting forces from, his, from around his Ottoman Empire, and they had come in numbers that seemed impossible to Constantine and his Christians, huddled behind their ancient defenses. Contemporary estimates of the Muslim force range all the way up to figures that can only ever have been inspired by fantasy. But the more reasonable counts still beggar belief. Historians today find it acceptable to imagine an army of 200,000. Clearly much of this is accounted for by servants, retainers, camp followers, and the rest of the hangers-on with an appetite for the scraps left by medieval armies on the move. But still around 60,000 of these are thought to have been fighting men. A combination of infantry and cavalry in roughly equal proportions. Right. This was not a purely Muslim force either. Thousands of Christians were there too. Under the banner of the Sultan, some pressed into service from conquered lands and some mercenaries from countries across Europe and their presence burned the hearts of those they had come to subdue. Inside the city walls, preparing themselves to face this multinational horde were perhaps 8,000 men. Whoa. Against 60,000. So yeah. this is like a scene out of 300. Yeah, that's what I was just going to say. It sounds like that. It sounds like... Right, but also, the, so, so like this huge Muslim army, and then you have like some Christians that are in it, and they're like, fuck, well, I guess... And, but they're only there because they were conquered. Because they were taken over, yeah. Thank you. So what's that like? So you, so that's the undercover agent up in there. You know what I'm saying? That's right. The, that's the guy who's just like looking at the. All right, well, we got him from the backside because we don't even know. We don't even like these guys, anyways. Right. They just barely came and marched on our land and took us over. So hey. But also, like when we go into war, like I just wonder, and I and like if some of those cats ended up like low key killing some of the cats that they're supposed to be with. Yep. You know what I'm saying? They're like, whoops. Sort of. So we don't know what happened to them. There's sirs. so many people here. I didn't know. Yeah, like, we didn't know. We just ran up on them. They were like, "Hey," we were like, "Hey," and we won. <laughs> we won. <laughs> Inside the city walls, preparing themselves to fate this multinational horde were perhaps eight thousand men. Fewer than half of them could be considered part of what we would recognize as a trained, organized army, and there was scant hope of reinforcements. 4,000 and some farmers. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> we got 4,000 and some farmers. farmers. Pitchforks out on the building. Jesus. All right. Although those defenders were desperately outnumbered, they were behind defenses that had withstood more than 20 sieges in the past 1,000 years. Hold on a minute. In the past 1,000 years, what's the life expectancy of a human in 14 whatever the fuck? Well, with 20 sieges happening so so, so, oh, so so it's so generations are teaching the next generation how to sub, sub, uh, sustain to, yeah to like chill because hey we this isn't the first time that we've been ran up on over here in this like peninsula got it place, okay you know? okay so so that's my fault that would that would be the that would be the smartest thing to do though is just teach your kids how to hold that wall down because like right there ain't no way to run after that and i feel like like immediately that's like a lesson to us <laughs> It also is like like heed and listen to our elders a lot more than we do. Yeah. I'm not going to get on this rant, but like I know that I am very, very, very receptive to like when people tell me of um, you know elders tell me things. I'm like, you're probably right, you know. 
This ain't your first walk around the block. 100%. Hard though it might be to believe, the greater challenge was that faced by Mehmet, the 60,000 guys, was faced was that faced by Mehmet and his would-be invaders. It was they who had the steepest climb ahead. And the toughest of the enemies ranged against them. Greater than the walls and the sea was time. From the moment a siege begins, its commander is fighting a battle to maintain the morale of his men and to build and sustain momentum in the face of an immovable object. Those inside the defenses had nowhere to run. They were in a place for the duration and fighting to defend family and home. Those, with, those without were always just one disappointment away from deciding to turn and head for their homes far away, either individually or in mass. The commander of a siege holds his army like water in his cupped hands. What a, uh, what a just great description. More than anything, more than territory or ethnic distrust or greed, though these and more were part of the mix, this was a struggle between two faiths. In the 15th century, the two great monotheisms were Christianity and Islam, two religions with a common root and as many ties to bind them as to separate. But familiarity breeds contempt. Which is so true. Yeah, I was gonna say I've heard that before. No, it's so, it, yeah. but it's like like it's so true. Like familiarity breeds contempt. Like it, within industries, that's true. Like if you're within, uh, like if you're an accountant and you have another accountant and you guys are both familiar to the process, but there's always con- like contempt in the sense that like you you think that you know something else. That this accountant doesn't the open. ego right comes into play for right sure yeah, and that happens within hip hop as well or within uh, any industry where you're where you're trying to make music I guess or yeah. any industry where you're trying to create make an art or if you're trying to have the biggest army I guess the point that has already been made but I mean I'm being overly informative about it when the Christian populace of Constantinople looked out at the Muslim army preparing to besiege them, they were watching the build-up to the climax of a struggle as old as Islam itself. According to the faithful, the Prophet Muhammad himself laid claim to the city in AD 628 in a letter sent to the Byzantine Emperor Heraclius on pilgrimage to Jerusalem. Heraclius had crushed the forces of Persia and recovered them from the True Cross most sacred of Christianity's relics. As he arrived at the city on his way to return the relic to the Church of the Holy uh, Sepulchre of the Holy Sepulchre. Sounds right. Okay. He was handed a letter. It read, quote, In the name of Allah, the most beneficent, the most merciful, this letter is from Muhammad, the slave of Allah, and his apostle. To Heraclius, the ruler of the Byzantines, peace be upon the followers of guidance. I invite you to surrender to Allah. I invite you. Okay. 
Embrace Islam and Allah will bestow on you a double reward. But if you reject this invitation, you will be misguiding your people. Go. He wrote that? Yeah. Ah, man. See, how does he know? How is he calling the shots on this thing right now? <laughs> he's just like, listen, you follow this guy, and I heard he's going to do good things for you. All the peace in the world would be brought to you. Like, yo, you just wrote this letter, my man. Right. <clears throat> Persia's king of kings had received much the same letter, but neither man took up the offer. From then on, Constantinople was a target for the forces of Islam. And as the decades and centuries passed without success for the pretenders, the target became an obsession. The triumph of Muhammad, the warrior, had been to unite the disparate, nomadic Arab tribes under the banner of Islam. Here was a portable faith that could be easily carried by wanderers, forged by it into a single blade. They cut a swath through the sedentary civilizations they found beyond the limits of their desert homelands. So they're just speaking to the folk, like the underprivileged, essentially. Just to, and that's the same way that still happens today when you you have politicians that go in uh, any country, for that matter, then they um, incorporate and um, woo, um, you know. Uh, lower the middle lower class thank you yeah. into believing what they believe and what have you and we'll, we'll we'll promise you this we'll promise you that we'll promise don't take our guns right <laughs> forged by it into a single blade they cut a swath through the sedentary civilizations they found beyond the limits of their desert homelands Muhammad died in AD 632 allegedly but his mission drove relentlessly onward, as we all know. In the years to come, Muslim Arab forces were, would sweep through Persia and the Middle East, across North Africa, and into Spain. This is not weird. This is, these are facts. Cities fell to them, and people bowed down, but not Count Constantinople. In AD 669, the Caliph Muawiyah, brought his Arab army, and by now an Arab navy as well, which is impressive, to within sight of the city. In the following years, he besieged the place again and again, using his ships to maintain a stranglehold and keep his men supplied with the stuff of war. So just keeping them in check. Yeah. But in 678, the Christians struck back, and with such awe-inspiring effect that they were to secure for the Coming centuries, the belief that God himself had determined to protect this city by his faithful. There you go again, back at that. Thank you. Out onto the sea of Marmara sailed a force of Byzantine galleys. Straight toward the Muslim feet they came, and once in among them unleashed what appeared to be the hand of a righteous God. If you don't, you can't see this right now because you're listening, but my man Ivy has his hand up. Towards the light. With the Towards hand of the a light. righteous God. <laughs> Observers saw strange apparatus on the bows of the Christian ships and from it spewed what could only be described as liquid fire. The Arab ships were consumed. Their crews burned alive as the sea itself caught flame wherever the flames touched. Traumatized and destroyed, the Arabs lifted their siege. The survivors dragged themselves back home as best they could through a winter storm that further harried them. 
The Arab land army too was destroyed by Christian forces taking advantage of the demoralized state of their foe. And that reminds, and what that reminds me of is like getting, like just biting off more than you can chew, no. which is what, and this is like crazy, but like Hitler and his army went into Russia during the winter and if he had not done that, and uh, if you, uh, you know, listening, if you just Google, um, uh, well, just Google what I'm talking about. Just Google, like, Hitler, Russia, winter, and... Um, froze his men to death. Basically. Yeah, dude. Yeah, so, like, he, he just bit off more than he could Well, chew. imagine that, like, listening in. Like, imagine just getting your ass whooped in some fight and then having to go home and face, like, this rough winter out at sea, just, like... That's double getting whooped. like Right. 100%. Yeah. The survivors dragged themselves back home as best they could through a winter storm that further harried them. The Arab land army, too, was destroyed by Christian forces taking advantage of the demoralized state of their foe. The weapon that had achieved all this was the medieval equivalent of a flamethrower. Greek fire. Naturally... Occurring crude oil was mixed with pine resin and stored in cylinders, kept pressurized with hand pumps. Yo, they got like medieval napalm on these cats and just running it. That's what I was going to say, though. I was like, yo, if they if they could only describe it as like fire coming out of there, like it sounded like napalm, like a flamethrower, like burning these ships even on water. That's out of control. 678, by the way, this is 678. Still using that stuff today, it seems like. <laughs> once for okay, once forced out of a nozzle, so we're still describing what we're yeah, talking the napalm. about, right? Once forced out of a nozzle, the sticky fuel was ignited by small flames and directed anywhere its user wished. It's hard to imagine the impact, the shock and awe. Such a technology must have had upon unsuspecting eighth-century mariners. Armed at best with crossbows, and the magic of its ma- uh, manufacturer was among the most closely guarded of all the secrets within the walls of Constant- uh, Constantinople. So folks were like, "Where? How the fuck are they doing this?" <laughs> <laughs> we got crossbows, B, but these guys are throwing flames at us. Doug, how is this dragon ship shooting fire at us right now? Can anyone explain this? They're Jeremy, like, nah, sir, we're on fire. Like, so, Jeremy, please. I just want my fucking friend. He, there's fucking fire. It's coming. There's fire coming out of barrel. Everyone out. Yep. yep. <laughs> Retreat. A second Arab siege. Forty years later. God, these guys are just fighting forever, forever. This is pre. Oh my god. This, and this is just this time they're fighting. Right. Like this isn't even later. the Crusades. A second Arab siege, forty years later, also failed spectacularly, and with much loss of Muslim life. Which sucks. I mean, any life, you know, this is a, I mean, this is retarded. Maybe they're just bitter now. They're just like, Man, they keep losing against these guys. In Constantinople, this place that is landlocked essentially, like there's no way it's like they just have like all these impenetrable forces. I don't know, it's just crazy how they were But it was in fourteen oh two that the city was handed its final and most legendary reprieve. Sultan Bayezet 
I demanded the city bow down to his will and declared that he was, after all, the greatest ruler in the world. Word of his boast reached the Tamur the Lame, the last great Mongol Khan and known to the West as Tamburlaine, believing that he, and not Bayezet, was the supreme ruler, he brought the pretender to battle on the field at Ankara and utterly destroyed him. For centuries thereafter, there persisted the legend that Bayezet was kept for the next 20 years until his death in a cage pulled behind Tamur's dogs. In any event, Constantinople was saved. It must have seemed to those proponents of holy war that this city with its elemental defenses of stone, sea, and fire would never f fall to them. By the time Mehmet and his great army loomed over the city like the promise of bad weather, the Muslim dream of taking Constantinople for Islam was seven centuries old. Think about that. Imagine a wish sparking among us today like a flame and being kept burning until sometime in the 28th century. What kind of wish would that have to be? The city walls stood as defiant as ever, but the flame of holy war burned brightly in their shadow. This latest contender, Mehmet, was Bayezet's great-grandson and as determined to take the city as any sultan or caliph before him. In 1452, he began to make the final moves toward what he believed was his destiny and his purpose upon the earth. He made his plans carefully and well. Utterly isolated on the land, Constantinople was by now a city that depended upon the sea for its survival. Ships brought everything, from food supplies to the munitions of war, and Mehmet understood that domination of the waterways was key to any hope of conquest. Damn, so... Like, they're just living on a thread, dude. dude. He just wants to just... It's in his blood to just take over this place. Right. It's, it's, in, it's like in his heart. Yeah. It's like it, he already had a castle on the Asian side of the Bosphorus in Anatolia. Anatolia, built by his great-grandfather toward the end of the 14th century. But with jaw-dropping efficiency, he now organized the construction of one, of, the European, of one on the European side. Between April and August 1452, so four months, the, quote, throat cutter was built. The thing is, is with all their supplies coming in through water, he already knows. He see that, and Constantinople seems like it's in trouble right now. Because Thank you. There, you know, there's only one way in for supplies and one way out, and that's usually through water. And so, so they and they and they the have Sultan a, see that, yeah. Know. And they and they and they're like, look, we've been trying to take this over for so long. As as they're taking us out every single time, we're we definitely got to take it over at some point. Like yeah. we have to figure this out. Yeah, it's the Rubik's cube of Constantinople. Between April, I almost want to name this fucking this show that the Rubik's <laughs> yeah. Cube of Constantinople. It is. They trying it and trying <clears throat> it and trying it. Between April and August 1452, quote the throat cutter was built, complete with walls over 20 feet thick and 50 feet high. That's impressive. Donald Trump, where you at? Constant Constantine and his Byzantines could only look on with wonder and dread at this demonstration of logistical prowess. Stone cannonballs from Mehmet's artillery could be sent 
hurtling across the Bosphorus from either side into the holes of any ships daring to try to pass through the straits without his permission. What Constantine needed was help from the Christian West. As he saw it, any differences between the Orthodox Christians and Byzantium and their Latin Christian brothers and sisters in Rome should be set aside for the greater good of the church. There had been attempts over the years to heal the great schism of 1054, when the family had torn itself apart from the details of their beliefs. But hardliners on both sides could find no real forgiveness in their hearts. We're part of the same faith. Like, it's all, it's happening now. Yeah, it's like, you're Christian, but I'm Catholic. But it even split into more groups, you know what I'm saying? Right. It's just like, yo, you've got Baptist Christians. Lutherans. Lutherans, you've got... Protestants. Exactly. Mormons. The list goes on and on. They're all of Christian faith, but it just separates into subgenre after subgenre. And it's almost... It's funny. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you look at even in like the Islamic faith, you know, you've got the the two different like main groups of Muslims. Sunnis and... Shiites. Yeah. It's just... No, exactly. No, 100%. But hardliners on both sides could find no real forgiveness in their hearts. The divide separating Rome from Constantinople was much greater than the Bosphorus and would not be bridged. Good news. Slight though it was, given the scale of the threat, came in January. Toward the end of that month, two Genoese ships arrived from the Mediterranean carrying 700 armed men. Their leader was the charismatic and experienced warrior, Giovanni Giustiniani Longo who had chosen to weave his fate into that of a city. A handful of others answered and call, answered the call and made their way through the gates into the last redoubt of Christian empire in the east. But as 1453 dawned, Constantinople stood alone in the face of the holy warriors of Islam. Whew. It just sounds like they're going to get jacked up. The city's population placed unshakable faith in two shields their religion, and their wall. By the time spring approached, however, both were compromised. Divided from their brothers and sisters in Rome by blinkered stubbornness on both sides, which we just were talking about, Get along. they were cut off from the mighty military resources of Western Europe. You guys can fucking handle it yourselves. It's so they're trying to fucking bring the like, yo, can we just can you guys just help us like, out? Yo, just for a sec, I just know a hey, listen, we all believe in the same guy. <laughs> and these guys don't like that guy, so Right. Yeah, that's it. Like just we believe in the same guy. These guys don't believe in that guy. So like if you can help us defeat these guys For that believe, guy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who that guy believes in peace and faith uh peace and faith and unity, but we're gonna have to kill a lot of people because of that peace of anyway, yeah. can you just come over and yeah, help just, us out? They're like over here, like, no, well, I really don't like those guys over there. Right. Yeah. That are supposedly on the same side. Right. Divided from their brothers and sisters in Rome by blinkered stubbornness on both sides, they were cut off from the mighty military resources of Western Europe. Faithful, faithful prayers bring comfort, but <laughs> armor knights have a more straightforward application in time yeah. of siege. Worse still, time itself had ca- caught up with the wall of Theodosius. 
For a thousand years, it had been beyond the limitation of, limitations of any military technology brought to bear upon it. Attackers, first of all, faced an outer ditch, the Fosse, brick-lined and 60 feet wide. Those who made it across ran then into the shadow of the outer wall, 25 feet high, and manned by soldiers raining down arrows, crossbow bolts, boulders, Greek fire, and anything else that came to hand. There's that fire, that flamethrower. Think of how fucking tired you are, though, after... Just to get to that wall? And then you got to still worry about the arrows and the up. boulders. Yep. 25 feet. Like, you have to show up carrying a big ladder that can reach up to 25 feet. Go, if you... I, just imagine this. If you go to, like, I don't know where you guys work at, but, like, look up and just notice where the second floor is and imagine what is uh, or just look at where the halfway point would meet between the second and third floor that's about 25 feet and then imagine somebody spewing fire on you and dropping boulders on you after you just busted ass to get to that spot that's very difficult <laughs> yeah dude. very difficult these soldiers were on some shit man. right they were like yo we really don't like these guys we got to get to them oh i guess it gets better i just read the okay Beyond that first wall lay a level terrace 60 feet wide. What the fuck? A killing field for the use of defenders on both the outer wall and now the inner wall. This final obstacle was the greatest of all. 40 feet high. Oh my god. And like the outer wall, reinforced with massive towers, providing huge advantage for those manning its battlements. Massed armies, longbows and crossbows, Great siege engines, catapults and trebuchets, Jeez. trebuchets. All had been tried and all had been broken upon it. But lumbering in the wake of the army that approached the city this time was a weapon that would taste the, that would test the ancient defenses anew. In the years and months before this latest campaign, Mehmet had commissioned and assembled some of the greatest heavy artillery pieces the world had yet seen. The wall had been tested before by primitive Arab cannons and the time of Mehmet's father, Murat I, and had passed with flying colors. In recent years, however, the technology for producing both gunpowder and the guns themselves have come apart. One of the pieces hauled laboriously through the Thracian countryside toward Constantinople in the spring of 1453 was nearly 30 feet long with a barrel big enough for a grown man to crawl inside and hunker down in. The black powder, here we go. I, I know. The black powder the gunners carried now was greater too. More powerful than anything that had been brought to bear upon the city's land walls before. In the face of the juggernaut, Constantine held firm. He was more than enough of a soldier to understand how grave was the threat facing his city, but like the soldier he was, he prepared to fight. He put Giustinani in charge of the walls, repairing any gaps or weak points, sealing the gates, destroying all bridges across the fosse, and see to it that the available fighting men were dispersed along in its length to the greatest effect. Cut off from supplies coming via the Black Sea and the Bosphorus, which is super intense, too. Yeah, like, that's like, well, we shut it down in the meantime. 
so that we got to cut these seas off. Like, we yeah. got to build a siege across this. We can't even get our own supplies. Thank you. We got to this off, you know? Like, we got to ration what we got and put down. Are you sure? Are you? I only have a pound of rice left. Just like, yo, look. <laughs> Make that pound of rice. Bring the time, sir. Bring the time. Make that pound of rice work. I mean, if you're facing that type of situation, what do you do, though? 100%. I, I, I'm feeling like, and it hasn't been explained yet, but I'm feeling like the whole city's behind them. So it's yeah. not, so everyone's ready. They have no choice. They right. have no choice. Yeah. Plus, God. Come on. Right. God. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Cut off from supplies coming from, coming via the Black Sea and the Bosphorus, Constantine had sent ships to the Greek islands of the Aegean to collect whatever foodstuffs were available, like Mehmet, Constantine took. Uh, Constantine too had heavy artillery and gunpowder, and shot were stockpiled in the arsenal. Shot is like you know, like fucking bolts, uh, or excuse me, like um, just shot. It's something a, metal that yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, something exactly. boulderly. Another ancient defense was set in place once more. A massive chain stretched across the mouth of the Golden Horn between Constantinople on one side and the Venetian city of Galata on the other. Now, no enemy ships could enter that waterway in hope of breaching the walls on the less stoutly defended northeast side of the city. Easter Sunday came and went, taking with it muttered prayers to the Virgin. It wasn't salvation that arrived the next day, but the enemy. Filing onto the rolling terrain beyond the walls in endless procession. Where before there had been one city, now there were two, one of stone and one of canvas. As dictated by the Islamic code of war, messengers approached as far as the Fosse and said the city would be spared the customary three days of sacking if it would surrender now. The response was polite but curt. There had never been nor ever would be any surrender by the Christians of Constantinople. By the second week of April, Mehmet's guns were in position, ranged in battles and fronts, batteries in fronts of perceived weak points in the wall of Theodosius. On April 12th, they opened fire for the first time and a devastating effect. According to eyewitnesses, whole sections of the wall were flattened like grass. I don't know if you guys have Spoiler alert for Game of Thrones fans. But the wall coming down in the last scene, that's what that's where my head goes with that's this. That's where your vision's going. Yeah. yeah. Because that wall had been up for so long. I um I just wonder what type of gun could blast through some giant wall like that, man. That's crazy for that time. It is crazy for that time. Have you heard of a punt gun? Mm-mm. Okay, a punt gun uh, was uh, became illegal in 1918 in the United States. What a punt gun was used for was to kill fowl. And what it would is is just like a so you got 12 gauge shotguns. The bigger the gauge, the smaller the yeah. hole, right? So the bigger or the the uh, lower the gauge. Uh, so if it's a 12 gauge, it's got a big old bullet. No, it's if it's a 12 gauge, it's small. So these shotguns were two gauges. So like they're six like gauges, this. two gauges. Okay, cool. Yeah. 
So they were incredibly large shotguns. Yeah, that's huge. Yeah. Just a so big they, old buckshot. So like, like you would go to like, you would just be sitting in a, uh, a gully or just uh, on a river. And when um, the normal uh, time frame for like geese or like fowl, just whatever in general, when they would like be spooked or their regular time frame to get up, there would be a hurt or um, a flock of them that go up in the air and you just hit, hit the punk gun once. And like 50 to 70 would die. Dang. Immediately. Oh, man. It just said big old bullet coming through a bunch of them. Yo, but thank, yo, I, 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 thank goodness, though, that, that, that shit was like, as, as a member of the foul community, I am very. Spokesperson <laughs> of the I, foul community. I'm super excited that they banned that shit in 1918 because we were getting murdered, uh, too much. I mean, was, we definitely were almost extincting the species. Yeah, it was, it was a little much. Actually, I just want to talk about that for a second. So. <laughs> but no, but seriously, so like, again, that's what kind of where my head goes. Like, this wall that is like so big. They shot a giant boulder out to blow up a whole wall. It flattened like grass, allegedly. A structure that had divided all comers for a millennium. A millennium, a thousand years, folks. A structure that had defied all comers for a millennium, which was, to the medieval world, as permanent as a mountain range, had finally been made vulnerable. Effective though the guns were, the heat and force generated by firing them put almost unbearable stresses on the bronze of the barrels. To avoid the risk of them cracking or even exploding, they had to be allowed to cool down for an hour or more after every firing. Guys, take it easy. Fuck. We don't even know what we're doing here with these guns. It's a low firing rate for sure. <laughs> Do not pick that gun in Call of Duty. You're going to be done. 100%. You're going to be done. Let me get the let me get the Mimic gun. The reload. You might take out a whole team in one shot, but then you're going to have to wait the next game to be able to shoot it again. <laughs> While Mehmet fretted and paced behind the guns. That's what we just did. Yeah. Guys, calm down, please. Hold God. on. Hold on. Take it easy. We're Walk blowing each other up. up. While Mehmet fretted and paced behind the guns, demanding to know why it was taking so long, Giustiniani, and I'm going to spell it. We'll call him Gio. Gio, but his name is spelled G-I-U-S-T-I. N-I-A-N-I. But we're going... Whenever I say Geo, that's who we're referring that's to. Guy. Geo used the brakes in the bombardment to effect hurried repairs. Inadvertently, he stumbled upon the perfect remedy. The earthen ramparts he used to plug the gaps proved far more resistant to the heavy guns than any wall of stone. While stone shatters, heaped earth absorbs the cannonball and its impact. Mother Earth. Unable to smash the... I can't... <laughs> <laughs> Holding it down. Right. Unable to smash the walls down quickly enough, Mehmet turned his attention to the rushing the gates. He had his men attempt to fill in the fosse using any materials available. But withering fire from the defenders on the outer wall turned such work into a suicide mission. Oh my God! So these guys are still going up, and they're yep. still just hitting them with the napalm. His, his his plans unfolding underneath them is what it sounds like. He was like, "Oh, what's up with these guns? Right, run to the gate!" And then they get owned. The corpses of the attackers were piled high. 
Miners were set to work then, digging tunnels toward the walls. They hoped to light fires beneath the foundation and cause their collapse, but again, the would-be invaders were thwarted. Behind the battlements and fighting on the Christian side was a Scot called John Grant. It's the only... I think I know a John Grant somewhere. I swear to God I know a John Grant somewhere. John Grant been around for a minute. Yo, yo, anyone know a Scott named John Grant? He's just like, hey, me. It's me, uh, John Grant. He's he's out in the back of your bar, just like at the pub, sipping a pint. Yeah. Oh, you you all need some help now. Here's some cheers to John Grant. (laughs) He was an experienced soldier and had faced the threat posed by tunneling many times before. Because tunneling is such a... That's a trade back then. Oh, you're a tunneler thwarter? I'm a yeah, blacksmith. I'm John Grant. I'm the tunneler thwarter. <laughs> Yo, you're hired. Get in the front lines Get real quick, John. He was an experienced soldier and had faced the threat posed by tunneling many times before. By listening for the telltale sounds of digging and watching for ripples on carefully placed bowls of water. So he's like Jurassic Parking this shit. This guy's like tasting the scat. He sees the he sees the ground moving. He he knows the sounds of digging and tunneling. I mean <laughs> He's got bowls everywhere. Like how many bowls do you have to have? He's on my team for sure. I'm oh, hundred percent. I'm I'm definitely got John Grant on gone John Grant on the joint. That's what my next album is named. John Grant. John Grant. He could detect the vibrations of the miners at work. By digging their own tunnels from above, the defenders could break in on the enemy miners. And then it was the hellish hand-to-hand fighting in the near darkness to drive them off. Behind the walls, the emperor moved among his people. Tirelessly, he patrolled the battlements, urging his soldiers on when fatigue was the greatest foe. He prayed with them in their churches. He waited with them through the hours of darkness, and he fought with them through the days. Survivors would say later he was always visible, always with some knot of defenders as they stood in the face of the rising tide. Mehmet looked next to the sea in search of the crucial breakthrough. While his gunners blasted, his infantrymen struggled and died hopelessly at the Fosse, and his miners scrabbled in the dirt in the dark his ship set sail. Commissioned and built for the campaign, this fleet of galleys was yet another innovation Mehmet could bring to bear against the Christians. He sent them now against the Byzantine ships, defending the chain across the Golden Horn. But while more numerous than the defenders, the Muslim seamen were less skilled. Warfare waged at sea is something learned and passed down over centuries. And for men of the desert, there was much knowledge to be acquired before they could tackle a people who had sailed trading ships on the world's oceans for generations. It seemed Mehmet was to be thwarted on the sea as well as on the land. During those first weeks of the siege, it seemed the city would hold out as always had done. Mehmet flung more and more men and ships into the fray. Just throwing dudes out to die. It ain't him, you know what I'm saying? He just he just writes the contracts. Hey, go over there and go die real quick. Hey, go over there and go die real quick. Oh, my God. Probing for weaknesses of, on every face of the defenses. 
And still the defenders defied him. Galled by the failure of his ships, he gazed again toward the mouth of the Golden Horn where that ancient chain barred his path. Eureka! And then it came to him. If he cannot go through it, he would go around it. Toward the end of that month of frustrations, he set his engineers the task of moving his galleys over land until they could be eased into that crucial waterway at a point beyond the obstruction. As news spread that Mehmet's galleys were now behind them and in among them, panic spread through the city's inhabitants. Even this breakthrough was not enough. <laughs> Still, Constantine held the line and now deployed his defenders onto the new front by the seawall overlooking the Golden Horn. But although the city was bearing the burden of the siege, it was taking a terrible toll. There hadn't been enough defenders in the first place and their numbers were being winnowed by every attack, every bombardment. Those still alive faced their greatest battle against fatigue. And that'll fucking get you, dude. Yeah, I was going to say waking up and doing it all over again. What the? What time is it? What, what time? They won't stop, sir. <laughs> well, you got to think. There's like basically 4,000 good soldiers and 4,000 farmers against 60,000 60, guys. I mean, that is a substantial number. It's absurd to think about. Like who's on? Like who? Like you cannot be not off the clock for like I mean more than two hours. Like who's <laughs> going to take your spot? You know what I'm saying? There ain't nobody there. There ain't nobody there. Holy shit! Who's going to take your spot, bro? Oh my god! Okay, Mehmet's was... coming in with some shit. Right yeah, now. he's he's about to. Those still alive face their greatest battle against fatigue. Rest and sleep were hard to come by for an army with no reinforcements. I love how we're just like, we just know. Dude, I do this every time. If you've listened to these episodes, you know that I fucking, I, I like, I know, I feel like I know what's going to happen next. But like, it, it's going on right now. Like, as we say it, like, the next line is literally it. You know what I'm saying? The like, next line is just right when it jumps in. Right. But, and then it's always like, you know, the next chain of events, and then you think it's, it's gonna happen, and then it's like, but, and then the next chain of events run in. But it's so true, though. Like, it's not difficult to fucking know, like, because how, like, if you're not getting any sleep, like, you're just, it's fucking a wrap. Like, it's just crazy. Rest and sleep were hard to come by for an army with no reinforcements. And here then was the rub. Worse than the fighting and the thunderous bombardment, worse even than the tiredness was the erosion of hope. This was a people besieged. All they would ever have for the fight was here with them now. Nothing more and no one else was coming to their aid. There were Muslim breakthroughs too. When the attackers would make it through some breach or other and grapple for a foothold within the walls, then the fighting was in the streets and lanes through the houses themselves. This was killing and dying face to face by sword and axe. Many times the Muslims came and every time they were cut down to the last man, their mutilated bodies hung 
later over the battlements by the defenders in a show of bloody defiance. April had given way to May, and still the stalemate dragged on. For Mehmet, every passing day made it harder for him to maintain the resolve of his army. Great though it undoubtedly was, every failure dulled his soldiers' appetite for the siege, and as May progressed, he, like Constantine, was reaching crisis point. Seeing that final victory, the realization of his destiny, might be slipping through his fingers, he called for one last great effort. In Constantinople, there were rumors and portents all around. Some said a Christian army was on its way from the west. And that's not happening. Nobody's coming to help him. Yeah, they already decided they weren't going to come help his ass. <laughs> Others feared an ancient prophecy that said the empire would begin and end with a man called Constantine. In the end, the fate of all turned around a gate left unbarred. Oh my god! In the end, it was... It, who the fuck? So you gotta stop naming your guy Constantine, first of all. Gerald! Yeah. You had the gate! I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so tired. He's just like, I haven't slept. <laughs> I haven't slept. I haven't slept. And I haven't slept since Easter Sunday. That last guy that was going to come watch my spot, he died. So. <laughs> oh, my God. <clears throat> oh, man. Just reading that is just. Okay. In the end, <clears throat> the fate of all turned around a gate left unbarred. On May 29th. With fighting raging at points all around the city, a company of defenders returned from a sortie beyond the walls. Once inside, and no doubt befuddled with fatigue, each thought another had the job of securing the door behind them. I thought that was your man. No, right? that wasn't my man. That right? was your man. Bro, that's... And in that moment, a handful of the enemy surged through. Living long enough to raise the Sultan's banner from a tower before each was felled, the damage was done. Word spread along the walls like a licking flame. They got the they got the stronghold, which is also a sex move. If you guys uh, know what a licking flame is, it's uh, you um, you go across the uh, le uh, labia uh, with your tongue, gentlemen, and then um, with fireball. Uh, you take a shot off of it. It's called the licking flame. That sounds bad for both parties involved. I haven't. I've done. Have I've you, done. It, <laughs> um, inhabitants. <laughs> inhabitants. Inhabitants of the city looked up and saw the dread colors snapping in the breeze. "Quote: The city has fallen," they cried. "The city has fallen." Elsewhere, Geo fell badly wounded. This man who had emboldened all around him had been hurt before in the fight and had recovered to fight and lead once more. This time, his spirit was broken and he called to his followers to take him now to one of the ships in the harbor still ready for the flight. After weeks of stubborn resistance, the defense began to collapse like wet sand before an incoming tide. Hearing word of the rout, 
Then seeing it with his own eyes, his men around him broke and thought about following Geo. Constantine cried out to the remnants of his army, urging them to hold fast. It was too late. The thrilling sight of their banner flying within the walls brought the Ottoman forces on like a wave. Where before the defenders had fought to turn them back, now they ran. Thousands of enemy soldiers were inside the defenses within minutes, and this time they would not be denied. And what of Constantine at the last? It is a legend that has survived to tell his fate. Muslim and Christian alike looked up from the mud and blood of the last square feet of the Byzantine Empire and saw him high on the battlements. He cast off he cast off the last remnants of his imperial garb, stooped and freed a sword from the dead hand of a defender. Then as the thousands watched he leapt clear of the walls, out and down into the enemy horde. In that frozen moment, he had jumped clear, too, of the tainted legacy of the many lesser emperors who had gone before him. In that space between the earth and the sky, he was a good soldier. So, like, at the end, so he, like, just jumped into the horde. He saw a bunch of people. He saw all these guys he running in. He sword and was like, let's run it. Yeah. Let's just, this is what's going to happen. And I know that I'm the emperor, but, like, fucking. But that's the captain that but, goes down with this ship, you know. Right. The... But also, like, is that, like, a little fucking... I feel like that's a little much. Like, I don't know. I, I hope that he did that, but also, do I hope that he did that? Do I think that, like, that really even happened? So it's know. just a fable that happened right after 100%. the fact. 100%. You know? Exactly. Like, I don't know. That's what that's that's what happens here on Short Story Bingo, you know? I'm not, I, you know, this could have been a thing, but I don't know. It's just there's a little part of me that's like... I'm like, Pixar didn't happen. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody out there painting the war story. Right. But, I mean, it's super cool, like, to see him, like, jump off and, like, it's, like, slow-mo and he has this he just huge sword. Takes it's, like, off all his clothes, basically. Like, three, three and a half feet long. Just, just this huge. And he's got, like, a six-pack, maybe an eight-pack if he's not, I mean, if he's vegan. And he's just, <laughs> he's just doing it. <laughs> But also, he could have just been inside of his tower watching the whole thing go down and be like... Eight. And sent out his double. Right? And sent out his and double. bounced. In that space between the earth and the sky, he was a good soldier. Mehmet would later parade. A head upon a lance. A head upon a lance. One of his, one of their people's heads upon a lance, a lance, and parade it around. This is this is Game of Thrones shit Barbaric for sure. Times for sure, man. It's nasty. But this shit's still kind of going on today, though, dog. It in is. certain parts of the world, it is kind man. of the world that we're talking about right now. I mean, it's not it's not too much longer because, like, if you think about it, two hundred years. What was that? Fourteen hundred AD. Yeah. No, AD. Yeah, AD. Yeah. Yep, yep. So within three hundred years after that. You know, we founded, you know, the the North American continent, you know what I'm right. saying? In like the 1700s. So it's like, we're not too far off these barbaric times at all. Right. 
Mehmet would later... Per- Fuck, we're not even fucking far behind from, like, even the Vietnam War and fools were putting heads on fucking... Through villages and on shit. On spears. Yep. And just be like, yo, like, these are your homies. Is so, yeah, like... You remember this guy? Yep. Mehmet would later parade ahead upon a lance, saying it was that of the fallen emperor. No confirmed trace of the remains of Constantine XI. So do we know that right. that was the emperor? Exactly. I mean, but I would say that shit if I was that dude. I'm like, yo, this, this is your is home. That, yeah. This is that guy. Constantine, in Christ's true emperor and autocrat of the Romans, was never was was ever seen was never seen again. As had been promised weeks before, and as of the custom of medieval armies dictated, the city was plundered and its population of fifty thousand taken as slaves. At the great church of Saint Sophia, work was underway almost immediately to turn it away from Christ and toward a law. Hardly a building survived the onrushing wave of the Muslim soldiers. In time, Mehmet would rebuild the place, seemingly intent on making it a city of wonders once more. Muslim observers would be stunned at the result, a place neither entirely of Islam nor of Christianity, but one man's attempt to recreate something he had never seen. In the wider world, it was the image of the murderous, marauding Turk that was fixed. A Christian empire had been erased, and one of Islam completed. The future of a world split between the two had become had begun. Shit, man. And that is that, folks. I mean, it's one of those things where it's just like, come on, what are you boasting about, though? You had 60,000 guys. Come on, you were against 8,000 guys. I mean, even at the end of 300, they end up, you know... Succumbing. Yeah, succumbing to it, but it's the it's the feet of the... Um, I mean, it took you guys... It's the feet of the... It's, it's the feet of the defense more uh, that is more um, intriguing than that of the, the uh, attacking forces. The conquest. When, um... Well, I mean, when you look at it, I mean, it, it was how many centuries? It was, uh, it was a millennium. It was a millennium. So, I mean... You're they did at, well. Yeah, you're, you're sitting at a couple of attempts. You got a, every dog... A thousand years. Day. Every dog has their day. You know? Every yeah. dog has their day. And it's kind of crazy how it did solidify the separation between the Islamic and Christian faith. I just didn't know... And I and I just didn't know that Constantinople went like that. I thought, I thought that Constantinople was forever a Christian city. And now I, I definitely know that it's not. Um, but... I didn't know that it happened that early. I didn't, and by early, I mean in the 1400s. I thought I thought that that like dropped later, yeah. like like yeah, way later, way like, long ago. Yeah. So like, I'm uh, I'm taking it back a little bit, but also you know, it's um, you know, it's fun. Fucking history is fun. It's an epic. It's an epic. Um, I mean, sign of just like what man has to put himself through. In order to conquer a a piece of land and b to prove that their um, monotheism is better than somebody else's monotheistic right. beliefs, right? And that shit's really crazy to see. For me, you know, being a somebody of a more metaphysical state or religion, you know, and that's kind of how we grew up is more energies and all that stuff. But it's just like, yo, you guys are just how many people are getting slaughtered out here at Sword Hand and a dude's heads on a stick all because you guys want this piece of land, like. It's wild to because me. your grandpa wanted it. Not even because you feel like it's like some place that you need, but like your grandpa lost, his grandpa lost, their grandpa lost, 
their grandpa lost and so on and so forth and it's just like for a thousand years you guys, you guys is like all these people lost their lives just because like your grandpa how about pissed. build beyond there then how yeah. about like move to other places like around that time if you guys had ships you guys definitely could have sailed to other places and checked it out you know there's a lot of but that ground. but but again that also speaks to how territorial we are to even still today about like nationalism and stuff like that mm-hmm. um we can even break it down to even a smaller level to make the analogy clear for folks is that we we have you know uh cliques even when you were in high school you had there there were cliques there were cliques of people there were the jocks there were the nerdy kids there were the drama kids there were you know like it goes down so little High schools don't like each other because they're different high schools and they're sports teams. And, Boom. And just because you're like a, this football team fan, you don't like these football guys because they're in your same division. And it's just like. Yeah. So it's not. So like when people and when people are like, oh, well, you know, let's break down borders. I'm all for, you know, I'm all for breaking down borders and shit like that. We're just not ready for it. Nope. And we won't be for it. I, I just, and this is just my opinion solely. Uh, this does not reflect the opinions of short. Just kidding. This is fucking the opinions of me and short story bingo. But um, I just don't think that it's going to be a thing for. Uh, I mean, like, fuck five millenniums. I mean, people have people have it in them so, so much to guard, dog guard territory. Fucking everything that red ants have territory. Mm. Um. How is it that we're just going to knock off this dogma that we already have that's, like, inherent? It's not something that we can just, like, shake off. It's innate. Like, it's a thing. And so I appreciate, again, when I, when I hear people that are like, oh, we should, like, even in Europe, because everything is so close, like, hey, there should, it should just be Europa or, what you know, and it should just be, like, a thing and the whole thing. It's just not. It's just not the thing that the United States consists. The continental United States consists of forty-eight different states, which is damn near forty-eight different countries. Um, and if it, what? So we just break all those. I'm. I, hey, I'm game for it. I'm game for it. Fuck it. If I just go from this part of the West to the next part of the West, and if it's not California, it's just all America. Cool. But you and I can't. I mean, that's not how it is, ladies and gentlemen. You can, you can't like. Let's be honest. You about got that it. one guy who's just like, no, I believe that uh, I could do that. I can, and good, dude. I hope you can. I hope you can because, like, you know, you got a cousin who can. You know, you got an uncle who can. Just like deal with the fact that, like, we're all just humans, right? You know, living on a rock. Short story, bingo. Episode fourteen. Zach Ivy, thank you so much, sir. Blessings. Learned a lot. That's a history lesson for you. Can you please let everyone know? Your social media outlets one more time. One more time. Um, SoundCloud.com slash I-V-I-E music S-L-C. That is W-O-L-F-I-V-I-E on Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram. And find me on Spotify and Apple Music at Zach Ivy Z-A-C-I-V-I-E. Uh, a lot of free music for you. Didn't you just drop a project? I did actually. I did. I dropped um so I dropped the Summer Days EP with um Earthworm featured. It was just a little three P. I just dropped the Noti tapes not too long ago in June. I'm getting ready to uh drop a few more like full projects coming up here in twenty eighteen, but I just dropped a song today as well. So go on my SoundCloud, you can download it for free. Oh, and shouts out to Get It Right December third. 
get it right december 3rd a uh, nice little networking place for all artists for all videographers producers um the list goes on and on if you make graphics come down come meet some people who need some graphics and album covers you know uh i have to say though also if you like short stories come down as well because uh we're all creative people so like it you'll you'll certainly appreciate the atmosphere the ambiance is beautiful the, the i gotta say this before we get out of here zach you've been doing great um as far as um pro- continue the progression of uh where the hip-hop scene is out here in salt lake i know i don't make this uh podcast about hip-hop but uh, for those of you that know me uh, from pe- from all my episodes, you know that I'm a hip-hop kid at heart. Um, I uh, am an artist as well, but um, I just want to make it known, you know, that uh, in my experience, in my work that I've put in here in the city, that I am incredibly appreciative and motivated by the work that you're doing so thank you respect respect man and thank you and for thanks everything. for being on the goddamn podcast yeah, dude, it was beautiful man it was beautiful good way to spend a friday night you know sitting here and uh have a couple beers yeah, have a couple beers and get a nice history lesson on you know how boys became better men 100 constantinople man i hope you really did jump off there and just go take on that army head straight <laughs> make sure like an anime movie right now yeah Amazing Tales for Making Men Out of Boys by Neil Oliver, international bestseller. I'll have the link in the description where you can buy it. Again, uh, it's the story of Constantinople. My name is Nate Chacon, and this is how we're gonna fucking end it. Short story bingo number fucking 14, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> Spare fingers. Yes.